namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa udang dhammang sanghang namasami Um, fundamental qualities about meditation which is not particularly glorious or profound or really interesting but it's, it's a repeating thing the word to meditate comes from the Latin word meditare meaning to repeat you do it over and over, something over and over again which you know on one conventional level because it's very boring tedious to do something over and over again what it does is it builds up a particular reference, you know, because you keep going to that particular place, and a particular pattern, if you like. So maybe just going to that, um, doing the same thing over and over again, you get into a certain sense of um, reference, don't you? Because you, one's mind and moods and feelings are kind of shifting and changing, events are shifting and changing. You've got something there that you do repeatedly. So it gives you some way of of getting perspective on all the things that shift and change. So some sense of you know the immediate quality of of um, steadying by doing something repeatedly. If it's something you can manage, you know, it's enjoyable, it's comfortable, it's okay. You know, uh, and, and you get a sense of steady familiarity with that. And then that's one. Th- Quality or samatha, quality, calming, steadying, making yourself feel good, comfortable. It's very important. Mm. And the second thing is you've got somewhere where you can refer to the events, these micro-events, the feelings we have, the passions we have, the sadness we have, the events in our lives, both on a, you might say, external level and also how we're being affected. Which is most important because how we're, being, how we're being affected tends to determine how we feel. How we feel determines how we think. How we think determines what we're going to do. You know, so if, if you want to get somewhere, you can get, get some perspective on that, that, that process. Otherwise we're just ricocheting, reacting. And in a way, you begin to, once you set up a kind of system of meditation, you begin to see... You know, apart from the pattern of meditation, there are particular patterns in my own mind, you know, that keep coming back again. Because now you've got something to refer to. And you begin to separate the internal patterns, which you've got, surely, hopefully, some say over, from the external patterns, which you don't have so much say over, like the weather, um, what other people are doing, um, you know, which, how much can you affect that? And what could you affect your external environment? Somewhat. But essentially, you know, the bit you can have most possibility of affecting is your internal environment. It's how you're, how you're getting affected by things. Um, and how, you know, what happens when you do get affected. And uh, what your mind picks up as a pattern. 
Uh, and then because if that keeps happening, it picks up a pattern, you act, you speak, you act upon something, you externalize something, and therefore it gets more and more established, particularly as so often part of our environment is other people. A big part of our environment is other people. Particularly, you know, anyway, families, relationships, communities, big part of what we're with as environment is people environment. So, you know, you put your stuff out there and to, to the, you don't talk to the trees, you talk to the other people, act in certain ways with other people, you get seen as that's who you are. <laughs> so then, of course, this is the basis of stories, isn't it? <laughs> And then naturally what comes back to you is other people's interpretations, how they've been affected by you, what their stuff's come up, and then bang, bang, you know, they they speak and act towards you in certain ways that may affect you. And so it goes on, you build up these kinds of uh, relationships. And, uh, you know, they're not all so good news, are they? Generally, you know, most people, in any kind of relationship, there's some sense of, this is good, positive, interesting, and there are some stuck bits where you go these kind of banging away conflict, personal conflict, or just not necessarily even you know really hard conflict, but just the sense of I don't get what on earth he's going on about, like his sense of confusion, um, and all all these kinds of patterns that can come up for us, and you know. To a certain extent, you can you can try to work that environment out. Like, well, let's talk about this. What happens here? What happens there? Let's see if we can actually work this out. Uh, and obviously, like any sort of balanced human being, can recognise well. There's enough good in this to make it worthwhile to work out these 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 gritty bits. But if the grit gets too intense, you think. It ain't worth it. <laughs> There's not enough in this to get out. Find some other piece of cosmos. <laughs> yeah. So you can work. That's kind of the thing we make in terms of our environment, both our social environment, physical environment, so forth. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's very important just to be able to sense, you know, is there enough? to recognize the good in other people, make a conscious effort to do that, uh, to acknowledge the good, that which is honorable, that which you respect, that which you are agreeably affected by. Because so often what does occur is the afflictive, the misunderstood, the threatened, the feeling hard done by, the not feeling listened to, the feeling manipulated or whatever it is, you know, these kind of things happen for us because these are the bits I feel those, you know, so not just me, but I'm sure we all feel those kind of things. But you say, well, actually, this is happening in my nervous system, my heart. So anyway, this is my my territory. Hmm. Somebody says a few things, and I can walk away and stew on that for a day. You know, the environment's changed, but the internal environment's still picking it up. So there's a bit of stuff in here. I, I, 
you know, I can't necessarily work out that everybody's going to say everything to me that I really feel good about, but can I actually get to the point with things that I don't feel so good about? I can go, well, that's over now, finished, you know, clear. Because if, if that's the bit that I, I am, in a way, responsible for, And this is the bit that, that people don't actually clear. You, know, you look at some of the, you know, the acknowledged trouble spots in in, in political level. Okay, you get Northern Ireland. They still remember 1688. It's not over yet. You know, and then what he did and they did and so forth. Still that that that. They're still burning an effigy of the Pope in Lewis every year. (laughs) So that isn't over yet. (laughs) I don't think it's that big a deal anymore, but it's more like it's still. But for some people, it's very, very, still, the intensities are still there. Well, it's happened, so it's stuck. And when it sticks, whatever gets patterned and stuck becomes a viewpoint, becomes a, a standpoint from which we then begin to organise, well, he's one of those, she's one of those, therefore a certain sense of mistrust occurs or, or, or obviously positive patterning, affection, warmth, friendship, so forth. See, it's patterning. Mm. And p- depending on the patterning of view forms, these are my people, my tribe, my mates, my friends, and these are out, these are my enemies. Yeah. And then, based upon that, pieces of my uh, kind of irritability, aggression, violence, fear, afflictive pieces, find something that they can crystallize around. You know, and then they, they keep, then they keep feeding us, thinking of that. You know, so that, you know, you sort of two pieces that somebody might have said stay with you. And a hundred pieces don't. You know, two bits that, that affected you negatively stay with you because they're part of your own unresolved stuff. And as much as we can shift the environment around, um, particularly on a, on a human level, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of people out there. Uh, so, you know, you think, well, just make it... Um, good enough and try to see the good in others, be with people who you can see mostly good in, you know, it's not going to be free from conflict, disappointment, the people you see mostly, you feel mostly comfortable with, and then try to think, well, let's see if I can work out my tendency to feel frightened, my tendency to feel angry, my tendency to feel, you know, where I suddenly find myself forming a view. Acknowledge that there are such things. And you can actually begin, because views are not just, they're not just thoughts. They express themselves in thoughts. But there's an emotional push, a drive in that. And suddenly you find these particular thoughts coming up. Particularly when they're thoughts that, that almost say this is a pattern. They say that by saying, always. He always I don't think anybody always anythings, really. Apart from maybe breathing in and out, but that's never been an issue for me. He's always breathing in and out. 
I've never had a problem with that. But he's always pushing people around. He's always getting in the way. He's always, you know, he's not. Is he always? Always. That's interesting. Never. That's the other one, isn't it? She never. She never turns up on time. She never does the cooking. She never does the washing up. She never, never. Mm, you know, big, big words. These. <laughs> or them. You know. So you you have. Uh, you know. I remember when the. I think when Tan Sudno appeared as a as a as a as a aspirant. He wasn't even an Agarica, he was just coming to be an Agarica. And he turned up. One of the first things he got made was, oh, Americans don't make it. <laughs> 350 million of them out there, but none of them. <laughs> you know, somebody always had a view about Americans. <laughs> so, okay, you know, maybe one American didn't make it, or two, or didn't become, last long as monks or whatever, you know, but you can it's kind of view crystallized about what one or two individuals may have may have uh, experienced or gone through. And maybe it wasn't because they're American, maybe it was because they all kinds of other things, you know. I don't think geography and culture. So you can see this sense of where you can pick up, you know, some particular piece of a person or, or women, you know, all women are like this. You know, all men are well big, you know, and probably when we actually sat down and looked at it, we think, oh no, well actually, but the, the emotion definitely was of that, was expressing itself in that way, because something's being touched, and these are areas we wouldn't actually get into, why does this like all, and never, and always, you know, that is an emotion, that's not a rational measurement of, of the, over, you know, studied over, over uh, a period of a millennium or so to make these generalizations. These are kind of, so that something is there. And this is the indication of what we have to, of where these things are buried. These patterns are buried. And then we come down to that. Basically, the story is pain. <laughs> of some kind, isn't it? So in a meditation, practice, you're using something that's stable enough, uh, can I feel the, that particular pain? And a simple, you know, meditation generally simply involves presence of your body, feeling that sense of something that's stable, not really a, an emotional topic, just there, breathing in and out, you gain nothing particularly personal topical about that. And this sense of um, assembling some feeling, some sense of empathy, so looking for one's own welfare, and then witnessing. So we try to bring these together in a meditation practice. And of course, um, you know, in a way, the, there's a proportion with that which you say, well, so much of your meditation has got to be about getting stable enough to establish that kind of firm, comfortable reference to be able to actually unpack some of these uh, shaky pieces, you know, these forms. And uh, the view hmm, that comes out of it. 
when you begin to kind of um, recognize that process, you see also how all of us are going to need to work to do that kind of thing, both in meditation and also outside of it. A lot of time we're not we're not meditating, and there's lots of lots of difficulties occur there because the mind is still operating. And so we can still be doing our patterning, following it. In fact, following it with some vigor, being you know being triggered and pushed and stuff happening. So then again, it's a simple. The kind of recipe is: well, do you have a firm reference in your external environment? Do you have firm values? You know, do you have firm friends? Mm-hmm. These these are examples of references that you just have repeat. You have to keep them going while we take the precepts. They're not new precepts. They're not fresh minted. Not my precepts. They're not especially the same old boring precepts that we've been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Interesting, exciting, newly dressed up precepts. Same old stuff. And some of them are in Pali, not even kind of not even a own language. So you're doing this because it's not just the precept; it's the sense of putting in a form that says this is more than just a um, a piece of information or even a commitment. This is a commitment seen as something that's kind of really impersonal, timeless. You belong to something that is even much bigger than your own than your own personal commitment. So the, the Buddha said it's very helpful for people to observe the opposite today, to take the eight precepts, because it somehow it lines you up, it puts you in that reference point of all the, you know, arahants over thousands of years. You know, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but um, for some that can, you know, as much as your faith, as your interest develops, that's quite meaningful. It's something you can go back to whether you're in Indonesia, Russia, Kenya, wherever, you know, there it is. And you, you're in that kind of, that body, that pure, that uh, uh, precept body. It helps with these other painful bodies that we experience. So you, you've got something to refer to. And then, of course, there's a particular meaning there, isn't there, that what we're looking at, what I can do is, is uh, refrain from unskillful karma action. Try at least to refrain from it. That's you know, my intention. So I can start to, you know, think that's really that's a really good thing to be doing. Even to to wish to do it is a really good thing. Because it's not really about my tribe. You know, it's not. I won't kill other. I won't kill other English people, but other people outside that I will. <laughs> it doesn't count. It's like taking the life of any, any living being. And so, what we're doing. This is this is a particular way, another a view, if you like, a way, a pattern. But you see, there's a certain hierarchy of patterns, and you're trying to establish particular hierarchies of patterns. You know, we're saying this, this is a very high top. It means, rather than, say, 
you know, one important pattern is what's, um, what's pleasant or interesting for me. That's a pretty important value. But when I come down to it, I think, yeah, that's important. But actually what's important is I don't kill, steal, lie, abuse people. Yeah, that's even if it's not very pleasant or interesting, that's more important. So there's a hierarchy of values. You get those clear. You know, it's not to say all all views, all standpoints have got some validity in them, but you're trying to prioritise what the, what it, what stands bigger than the others. Mm-hmm. Particularly in in uh, sangha life, it's uh, trying to find that way in which what's the relationship between what I want and what I feel good about, and what's good for the community, and what's good for the kind of, you know, if you like, this, this, this transmission, this particular vehicle, and uh, where, where's the priorities in that? Some way, for myself, yeah, you know, uh, it's, I often, very often, you know, sort of strongly inclined towards, well, I'll put aside what, my own particular interest for something that I feel is more important because it brings up a certain quality of aspiration, relinquishment in me. Can do it for the wrong reasons, you know, because you're too too, um, too frightened or you know you don't want to feel your own interests, but. Um, that's the, that's, that's the healthy way of looking at it. There's a sense of prioritize because uh, if we put quality interest into, into the uh, community, then we're, we got, we've established both some, a good environment, you know, which is going to feed back, but also we've established a particular personal valuing, you know, which has have a greater consequence because hmm. the valuing is is valuing um, you know what can I bring forth that supports letting go of my particular angles and views that's an important to me that's an important value So, okay, this is what you know, the Sangha wants, or Theravada Buddhism is about, or something like that. Then, to me, that's there's, there's useful in that because I can, it helps me to, to see that the ability to relinquish my own views I find valuable. Because then, if, if I really let go of that, I'm beginning to come out of the compulsive patterning I had. And there's a sense of some relief in that, and some perspective. And the more I begin less sorry, the less I feed my own um, patterning my own patterns then where they were there's a bit more space and I can sort of sit in meditation I haven't got a whole lot of things going on I don't really mind about this that or the other or have kinds of things I'm hankering for or because there's a bit more space there and sit in that space, and that was worthwhile. Letting go of a bit of me and mine was worthwhile. That's when it operates skillfully, and it's a matter for all of us to, you know, really 
find our way with that. If you're if you're in this particular vehicle, how do you find your way with that? I mean, all of us surely want to do something for other people, not just for ourselves. We find value in that. There's going to be places where we think, I don't want to bother, but I'll do it for her. And that's not just because of her, because I want to be more than just, I can't be bothered. I don't want to be stuck in that. I want to lift up. We all, you know, and we always need occasions and people who, who ask that of us. So that we can be a little bit bigger, a little bit grander, let go of something. You don't want to be stuck in getting by and can't be bothered. There's something that actually asks me to be a bit bigger, even though part of me doesn't, you know, grumble, not getting my way, blah, 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 why should I bother? But actually, having been through that process many, many times in my own mind, I recognize the voice of um, that kind of uh, me, 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 me. I think, yeah, okay. But I know that beyond that, there's something better. It's always a bit of an act of faith. (laughs) Because it's a very convincing thing. (laughs) There's something better. Yeah, there is. But really doing it from a place of your own interest and willingness rather than this is what you're supposed to do. Because this is where it goes wrong. And I think this is probably a big... um, Certainly a problem in Sangha life is that when we sense this as a kind of an external form, an institution that's landed on you in some ways, even though you enter into it, you take on a whole load of stuff that you haven't really particularly you know, reviewed, or, but you take on a whole lot of implications and loyalties and relative, you know, relationships and things like that you kind of weren't really that clear about. And you can feel rather like you're underneath it all. Um, and you haven't actually consciously picked it up. So this is a problem of like top-down learning, where you just get something that gets laid on you, and you don't actually learn it from the, your heart up, the willingness, the interest, to, and the capacity to actually take on some of this, some of this uh, environment you know, with all that it contains. And to use it as a vehicle where for liberation, rather than just a vehicle for conformity and so on. Because that's what it was what it was about. And hopefully all of us can keep remembering that's what it's about, despite all of the um, domestication that tends to occur when you're in a particular situation, how one can I Goes, runs through your family models, your job models, your school models, your army senses, you know, <laughs> which come up when we're in a group. Here you are in the factory or in the job. Here you are with your mum and dad. Or here you are with your, your school group. Or here you are in your army. You know, you get these kind of feelings of being frog-marched in and out and things. <laughs> or with bigger people always telling you what to do. Or having to listen to boring lessons you didn't want to be at. These are the kind of things that can happen for people. So it touches all this stuff in us. And, you know, rather than even review every every particular topic, there may be topics that 
particularly come up, but just to get the basic sense of being affected and then this patterning arising, view forming. Because this is where we suffer mostly. You know, everybody's getting fed, everybody's getting sheltered, everybody's getting, you know, certainly in this, in, you know, everybody here, I'm sure, is getting enough of basic requisites. We don't suffer from that. Very little. In certainly monastic life, been really okay. I was probably living more affluent life than when I was a lay person. In terms of uh, a nice little pad in West Sussex. <laughs> I was living in a kind of squat in Amsterdam before. <laughs> So it's definitely gone up market. Mm. So, but there's suffering around views uh, and and all all this, particularly because in in any religious life, these views have a certain sanctity to them. You know, because. Uh, you get views about doctrine, views about uh, training styles, views about kinds of bits and pieces. And you get jarring of views, you know, well, so particularly in the West you have the kind of, what we might say, more standard of the, of the group, you know, you know, this is gross generalization, a kind of Theravada viewpoints that have come primarily from Sri Lanka, Thailand and so forth. And then you've got more Western viewpoints, which you do with um, understanding of the mind, humanism, secular humanism, psychotherapy and so forth. You get, and there's this kind of clang, where they, sometimes they meet, sometimes they don't quite meet. And, and so forth. So you, you get these, and you think, well, uh-huh. And you realise that people need views for a, for a certain sense of stable reference. It, that's why the mind inclines towards them, because a pattern becomes a stable reference point. Even an unpleasant pattern, it, you kind of know, once you know what it is, you, know, you start to strategize how you can operate around it. You know, like that. And so in... in um, any, any kind of life where people are looking for ultimate truths, things of this nature, you know, then uh, uh, ultimate truth represents the utter stability, the utter completion, doesn't it? You know, we don't think of it like that. A place where everything's really okay, stasis, no, no conflict, no shifting, no stable, steady, we call it peace. Peace for most people means completely stable. Everything's okay. The Buddha said Nibbana is the completely stable. So we have this, this kind of hunger in our minds for that. Most people don't like instability. You feel kind of, what am I supposed to do? Confused, unhappy, sometimes feel angry or frightened, depending on what it touches. Mm. 
So there's this, until you've realized Nibbana, then what you stabilize around fundamentally is particular views. And it's important to both, first of all, get the best ones going, the ones that cause you least anguish, and then use that basis to clear views, clear yourself from the, the hindrance of the hindrance of views. And this is very much what the Buddha taught, saying, you know, in the wonderful parable of the raft, the Dhamma itself is like a, uh, a raft, and you can get in it and use it. When you get to the other side, don't carry it around with you, let go of it. So even his own teachings, he could see, was, was a series of views that take you somewhere, and then once you've got there, you don't need that. But you do need some raft. You do need something. So you get something stable enough. And so the Buddha was trying to offer that in, in practice and teachings. And sometimes people feel it's like Buddhism is really like a free, open inquiry. And, uh, but it's not. Hmm. It's an inquiry that's based upon where is suffering and where does it end. So it's got a limited agenda. <laughs> I, don't think it's, I think it's a very crucial agenda. But it's looking at things like that. You know, where, where is suffering, where does it end? It's not looking for other ways in which we might, you know, where the cosmos begins. What is the nature of the self? You know, what's the nature of ultimate truth? It's fundamentally, it's... Where is suffering? Where does that end? This was what the Buddha brought into the world. So even in the Kalama Sutta, which is sometimes quoted as a kind of sense of the Buddha saying, don't believe in anything. Um, but he was saying, don't believe in things purely because of this, that, or the other. But, but, but form your confidence around whether it leads you to suffering or out of it. So it was, it's certainly an angled inquiry. Where's stress and where's the end of it? So is it, does it cause you stress to, you know, if you're lying and you're lied to? Yes, it does. Well, then you abandon that. So this is a kind of a, there's a particular line there that's being drawn up. And this is really trying to get one to understand karma cause and effect of actions. And then more subtly, as you begin to work, you adopted that view of karma, cause and effect, as being a valuable uh, pattern to prioritize in your life. You can see, not, you know, what's normal or what's nice or what's okay, but actually, what's the result of this action? You know? What's the result of so many things that I don't even really look at? I just kind of do them. Is this useful or not useful? Does it lead either to, to avoiding um, the whole issue altogether, just distracting, or is it really building up uh, uh, an understanding or a focus that will help me to dismantle some of these uh, patterns of stress and suffering? You know? So you make that becomes a really important. Uh, view, view of karma, cause and effect. And then you begin to recognize within that the cause and effect of holding views.
you begin to first of all recognize the effect of it effect of holding a view conflicts with those who hold other views very simple holding a view has its effect of making one feel firm strong confident whatever you know I am this but then it and it causes a conflict so it both intensifies one's sense of selfhood and causes conflict with those who are not of that same view and it's amazing how powerful this process is because you know this this is a point that we can not see you know there's whole histories based upon not seeing this because you you don't prioritize that particular view of whether it's leading to suffering or not I remember I was reading history of the Christian church and how they don't have that particular way of looking at things they say well you know what is the what is the divine truth rather than what leads to suffering or not so the first few hundred years of Christianity is in quite intense debates over the nature of Christ was Christ's nature completely divine or did he have a divine nature and a human nature as well so there was a conflict between people who said he was purely divine they were, they were heretics and the people who said well he wasn't divine he was human but he had it in touch with the divine well that, they were regarded as heretics and the people who said he was both and after a while they were regarded as heretics you know, so it gradually and eventually the, the, the biggest conflict arose around the, um, whether, the, whether Christ was of the same essence of the Father or, or whether he was consubstantial with you know, which is kind of like what does that mean? And it, but there's a split uh, between the Catholic and the Orthodox because one implied that Christ and somehow had been present right from the beginning of time, you know, as part of the Father and the, and the Holy Ghost was somehow mixed up with it. The other one said, no, he wasn't, but he kind of picked it, he inherited it. You know, so over that, this very intense schism generated, which split the two churches to such an extent that it was these 900 years before they were able to talk to each other again. And during that time, um, the, the Catholic armies burnt down Constantinople, 1204, went on pilgrimage and slaughtered Orthodox Christians in the Holy Land. And um, still today, there are uh, you know, in in the near in the Near East, there are Orthodox Christians who would, you know, regard the Pope as Antichrist, and they're going going to hell, and literally. And so, these kind of really intense feelings of hatred and anger over something that is kind of like some of us can hardly actually get our minds around what, it, what the whole debate's about. But fundamentally, there's this sense of we need to be absolutely only one opinion about this. Only one opinion, you know, the, of, about the nature of divinity is, you know, that, that the need for 
to create stability on that level. Everybody's with this, otherwise... And the passions get aroused when that that stability is is questioned or, or threatened. You see how how even above ordinary pleasure, human beings crave stability. Crave to have something they really feel, this is rock solid. And as you begin to let go of other uh, forms of interest in, in religious life, you know, these people are fasting and they're not, they're celibate and, not, and so forth, and doing anything else but praying and chanting, then all of that requirement to feel supported gets established around the viewpoint. So this becomes a huge issue for any kind of spiritual life when you've given up other things. All the passion intensifies around these views. So then actually it's very important for everybody to be, does this view I'm having, does it lead to, to suffering or not? Not whether it's right or not. All views have got something right in them, otherwise you wouldn't have them. Which is the most important priority? You know, which one do you want to prioritize? So that Buddha's advice is to prioritize the view of, you know, looking at things in terms of does holding this view generate suffering or does it not? For myself, for others. You know, so anything. And if I so if I start to myself you know, have a view of myself as being English or male or Theravadan or bhikkhu and hold that, then that's going to cause me conflict with other people who are not the same sooner or later. Some sense of conceit arises, some sense of comparison, some sense of I'm better, I'm worse, she, he's got more, she's got more, I haven't, they are, and so forth. So it creates some kind of friction there, doesn't it? So in, in our meditation practice, the important thing is to begin to come through this particular piece of the view forming. Because if I don't get through that, I'm going to be stuck at this level somewhere along the line. Yeah, and really, all of this that seems so much me intellectually, I know it's not. And yet, there's this tremendous need to be something that forms around particular positions can I, if I don't, can I come through that to where it's empty and open this is the the encouragement isn't it and essentially we begin to take on this kind of faith in, in the training which, which has to become backed up by uh, results you have a little bit of faith, invest that, means I'll take a chance, I'll take a risk, I'll open up a little bit, I'll go against my wishes, views, opinions, patterning, fears, craving, whatever it is, and I'll go against that. Do I get a result or not? Do I get a result that I feel good about? Because if you don't, then, you, you know, <laughs> you know, I... I don't think you can sustain it, or you sustain it for the wrong reasons. You've got to get the result, which means actually be, actually handling some of these things. Hmm. Very consciously, not just you know, recognizing 
one's resistances. And not just saying, well, don't do that, or shut up, or let go, or whatever. But, oh, there it is, there's that resistance. Because I've, I've got to put that aside for my own real willingness, not from being thinking I've got to do it in order to be good, or if I don't do it, I'll be beaten up in somewhere or another, or I'll be... But I've got to do it because something, some aspiration wants to move through that, not from social pressures or fears. This is the encouragement. You know? And not to just avoid these places in ourselves. I find if I don't handle this stuff very directly, you know, I've, my, I get affected, I get touched, I get um, hurt by all kinds of bits and pieces of things that go on, you know, in the larger Sangha, in the I have opinions about the monastery, feelings of what I'd like to have happen, like that happen, and so forth. So naturally, it doesn't all work out the way that I would imagine or wish it to be. Oh, but the same for everybody, I'm sure I'll just let you know it's the same for me. <laughs> In case you're wondering. <laughs> so then if I pick that up I might can spin on that one. You know how, well, I've been here a long time, you should, blah, 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 blah. or I'm a senior, blah, 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 blah. or, you know, I've read this and know that, and therefore, blah, 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 blah. or it wasn't like this in the old days, blah, 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 blah. you know, and they've all got a bit of traction in those little babies, they've got the engines, <laughs> one of them gets going. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, does this particular line of analysis lead to suffering or not? <laughs> it leads to suffering, it doesn't lead out of it. Because it can go on <laughs> internally. If it goes on internally, suddenly it's going to come out externally and we're going to pollute the environment and then get all kinds of feedback. So, better get my hand on that one. Hmm. You know, I'm going to actually feel the voice, feel the emotion in, in my heart, and the, you know, whatever it is, maybe irritation, maybe my pattern, or a feeling of real... Disappointment, you know, you said the sad, fed up, disappointed. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of poor me, or bristling, you know. There he is. Yeah, I know you, brother. May you be well, brother. You just sit there. (laughs) Just sit there like I can get to you, you know. And sit and actually start to feel out. You know, someone's feel this big wedge of it somewhere around here, mm. abdomen, big kind of block. Uh, this kind of, uh, you know, I think Sister Tana Sandy coined them for a pain body, which so that was very good because it actually does feel like it in the body. There's a big lump of it. And just go and get around that, and. Stop the stories bounce bumping up out of that, just taking me out of that, and really start to handle that. And and the the feeling that comes up with that is a sense of groundlessness. You know, 
there's no, there's no safe, happy, comfortable ground. It's just the world of irritation, which, which I can't sit comfortably in. Or there's a world of disappointment, which is never going to receive me. There's an environment which is just bleak moonscape. It's never actually going to be comfortable, friendless, deserted, betrayed. <laughs> you know, and you think, wow, wow, you're making a lot, lot out of that one. But okay, just, you know, this is, um, just can really get the, the flavor of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is where I you meditate on it. Hold it, practice with it, breathing in, breathing out, not trying to fix it, but just to, to uh, soften into that, just soften around it. So it's that kind of metaphor that comes up for me. And then just starts to. It's a loss of ground, loss of comfortable ground. But this is the, uh, you know, whole kind of bit of the language paradox, isn't it? The Buddha saying all things are impermanent. There is no firm ground. Nothing stable here. This itself is dukkha, he says. Much more dukkha than just displeasure. It's this groundless place where you don't know where to stand. You don't feel comfortable. You don't know which way is right. And you kind of something you can't actually start to, to sort of operate because you don't know which is up, down, friend, foe, right, wrong, good, which is positively, you know, you don't know which way to go. So it really starts to corrode this kind of core quality. Um, and the Buddha is saying, yeah, this, this is kind of a process we go into. And yet, both in that process, you only go into that process to the extent in which you can maintain stable focus. So there's an instability and there's a stability. You know, instability in itself is, is psychosis at that level. It's not meditation. Unless there's the ability to actually, you know, marshal awareness around that, handle it, be with it feel you can move into it, feel you can move out of it. You know, this is what you need, one needs to establish. Then, there's the instability, there's a growing sense of stability which you can never really put your finger on as to where that is, what that is. This is the transpersonal, the transcendent uh, awareness, you could say, begins to become experienced. There's a knowing or there's a spaciousness, or you could say there's a loving quality, or there's a presence, depending on how you receive that. And it's exactly that shift from, you know, the patterned personal with all its story and its desperations to the unpatterned, non-personal, Unconditioned is the is you know the the path. And the Buddha is saying for this possibility, you know what is really needed are these is this training, and one of the big things that we begin to 
lead from is our sense of faith. You know, we, we have our, you always come back to the stable ground of one has the precepts. Something you can definitely do, or at least try to do, or recognize you, you've missed it and start again. Really stable ground. And you to bring it into your mind. I'm a hard person who commits himself to harmlessness. You bring it into your mind. Not just as a kind of praise thing, but almost to re- recognize that in you which loves and values and feels good and clear about, I don't kill things. I don't steal. I don't lie. You know? And you feel good about that. And then you can feel yourself kind of firm up if you take that in. And why we do it repeatedly. And you begin to look around. You've, you see a lot of other people do that too. You get a sense of this is where we belong. This is our environment. And from that place, that's your stable, that's your the stability that's, that's always offered. You know, there's always there for us. Well, well, the, the blessings of the precept body is that. And then from there, there's that sense of you know, you've got that, but you're going to extend the faith, which means, which is a fundamental quality of being able to be open to the unresolved, the conflicted. The, ins- the unstable, the, uh, the insecure. And I've got enough stability to be able to take some of that on and see it not as my enemy, but essentially as something that's going to help me to, to be free. Faith is very important. It's one of those words that are cobwebbed as a naive belief, but it's the ability for the heart to continue to be awake, to be present when we don't know. Mm. There's a magnificent quality in that. Mm. This is in fact one called one of the primary resources that a, a stream enterer has found in her or himself, this this faith, this sense of unshakable faith, um, and it's backed up by wit- seeing the results of that, and the, you, and it's backed up by seeing results because you've actually backed up your faith with wisdom, with experience, with practice. You take the whole lot there, and you begin to work through this territory. So, you know, meditation never really finishes once you begin to understand the factors that are, that are needed. You realize you don't really want to switch those off at any time, whether you're sitting, standing, walking, alone, with com- company, working, eating, whatever you're doing. You want to keep those factors present, keep remembering them. Keep them in mind. Keep re recollecting them, uh, and yet I think we also recognise that there is a tremendous value in having the time to to really focus just on the movements of the heart with nothing else that we need to attend to at this particular time. So this is our occasion for this this evening, this practice, um, the vigil, the meditation through the night. So, offer this for your reflection. Mm.